All right, welcome back, everyone, to Didactic Mind, episode 72, The Rabbit and the Wolf. Very warm welcome to all of my longtime Podbean subscribers. Very warm welcome to my longtime readers from the site. I am Didact, and this is, of course, Didactic Mind. And today I'm going to spend uh, the next hour talking about a concept known as RK Selection Theory. And uh, before we get started, uh, as always, if you have not uh, subscribed to the site or the podcast, please make sure you do so. Subscription uh, links for my mailing list will be in the description box, both on Podbean and on uh, the post on my site. And uh, that way you will never, ever miss a new upload. Please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe uh, to the podcast itself so that you never, ever miss a new upload uh to the podcast itself, whether it's the uh, Didactic Mind series every week or the much more rare, but I think every bit as good, domain query specific Q&A sections. If you have questions you want me to answer, then feel free to post some comments on the site itself. And I'm probably going to get back to you, uh, well, eventually. And it does take me some time, especially these days because I'm bloody busy. But... um, that being said, uh, I do need to go over a couple of housekeeping issues, and one of which is apparently I got a comment from, or I got a, an email from uh, Post Alley Crackpot. He's a longtime reader of mine. Uh, he's the guy who leaves these hilarious long-form comments, um, which just like riff on pop culture. He's incredibly intelligent, and uh, he just comes up with these amazing zany riffs on on songs and things. And he's saying he's not able to um, comment because of something called the Munified 360, which uh, may be a plugin that uh, my hosting service added into the WordPress mix while I wasn't looking because I sure as hell didn't do anything. Uh, it's just, you know, ever since WordPress upgraded to WordPress 5.7, I think it was, um, I have noticed a, a, a significant drop-off in comments. So if people are having trouble commenting, then get in touch, um, send me an email, and uh, let me see what's... I'll try to figure out what the hell is going on because... Clearly, there is something bizarre happening. Um, uh, basically, there are no comments coming through anymore of any kind, which, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been busy all bloody week. I've been extremely busy, in fact, um, but I'm just not seeing any comments, not even the spam ones, which is a bit of a surprise. But that being said, um, when it comes to conversations that you can't have, and this is, you know, our case selection theory is one of those conversations you really can't have anymore, uh, which is a bit stupid because we're at the point now where you can't have a conversation about anything um, and you can't really talk freely about any kind of remotely controversial or difficult subject, which is a bit idiotic. But RK selection theory is a, a theory of um, natural behavior and psychology applied to politics. And I'm going to make some references and say some things in this podcast, which will probably offend the snowflakes uh, among you and will probably annoy the more politically correct. Well, that's your bloody problem. It's not mine. But uh, the reality is that when you're confronted with this problem, you need to take protective steps. And if you are thinking about doing what I do, you know, posting uh, generally... Uh, shall we say, impolite or 
non-mainstream views all over to interwebs, then you need to take steps to protect yourself. And one of the most important of those steps is to get your own VPN connection. So I have a uh, deal going with Surfshark where if you get through to Surfshark using the links that I provide, uh, you can get a massive 81% off. And I do mean massive. Uh, that is an incredible deal. And in case you're wondering why that is valuable or useful, well, as I always do when, I, when this sort of thing comes up, let me demonstrate to you the power of a VPN connection. Uh, let me tell you my exact IP address as of this moment, okay? My exact IP address is uh, trace my IP, trace IP or whatever it was, uh, trace my IP. Uh, my exact IP address as of this precise moment is, not that one, there we go. Um, one second. My exact IP address is 103.107.196.148. Where am I? Well, according to an IP tracking service, I am currently located somewhere in Australia. I am located somewhere near Sydney. Indeed, I am, uh, well, that's an interesting one. Um, according to Google Maps, I am somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the middle of a river, I think. Um, yeah, more or less. Uh, I'm in, yeah, I'm in the middle of a lake. I'm in the middle of something called uh, Gampong Lake in New South Wales, Australia. And that is somewhere in the middle of Mungo National Park, which in and of itself is not far away from Broken Hill and a bloody long way away from Sydney. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that I'm nowhere close to that location, but that is the power of, an, of, of a uh, VPN connection. You can appear anywhere you like. You can show the world that you are in Singapore when you're actually in South America. You can say you're in the UK when you're actually in Canada. You can watch Netflix from around the world. You can download pirated videos from anywhere in the world. And by the way, if you're interested in watching the latest Hollywood movies, don't pay for them. I mean, Hollywood hates you. Hollywood absolutely wants to see you destroyed. Hollywood despises everyone who thinks differently from the leftist uh, woke stream, you know, bullshit that they broadcast into your living rooms and into your screens every single day. Don't pay for the latest Disney movies. Don't pay for the latest Netflix series. Don't pay for Hulu. Don't pay for Amazon Prime. Well, the one legitimate exception is the Grand Tour, because the Grand Tour is bloody amazing, as we all know. But everything else is fair game. I mean, if you want to pay for really great TV, pay for unauthorized. Get a, a streaming subscription to unauthorized for five bucks a month, and you'll get hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. Unauthorized.tv is run by, of course, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord. Peace be unto him. Vox Day, the most magnificent and terrible. But some of you may like him, some of you may not. I don't care. I personally am a huge fan of his. But, uh, yeah, pay for his service. If you want to pay for content, pay for that. You'll get an education in the process. But don't pay for these Hollyweird elites from Clown Epornia who want to uh, ram homosexual propaganda down your throat, who pretend that kitty fiddling is okay until they get caught. 
I mean, th- this is, these are the kinds of people you're dealing with. They think that, uh, you know, you can't have, uh, a non-black actor playing a black character. They ca- you can't have a non-gay actor playing a gay character. You can't have a non-LGBTQ, WTF is this shit, you know, character, person playing something that is within that world. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And that's, that's at the same time, that's the kind of garbage they want to normalize. That's what they want you to believe is normal and good, and it's not. And that's going to be a heavy focus of what I'm going to talk about. Make sure you get yourself a VPN. You can do so using uh, the Surfshark links embedded uh, here on the SoundCloud post or, sorry, on the Podbean post or um, on uh, the site itself. And, uh, you know, for $2.49 a month, I mean, that's what, the price of a cup of coffee? you get a level of protection that helps you build your own platform. It gives you some peace of mind and gives you a lot more freedom. And that's just the first step on your way to being free. So make sure you take advantage of it. Now, as for the focus of uh, today's topic, what what is RK selection theory? Well, RK selection theory is a concept in ecology. Uh, It's a concept in biology. And it essentially comes down to an observed heuristic that we see in the animal kingdom, where there is a trade-off involved between the quantity and the quality of offspring. And essentially, animal species um, fall into two classifications. You either have lots of offspring at the expense of individual parental investment. I'm reading practically straight from the infogalactic uh, page on this, and that'll be in the links. Or you have very few offspring, but you spend a lot of time and investment upon your offspring. And this is a trait that you see among different animal species. Now, not all animal species fall into this kind of neat, simple categorization, obviously. Um, there are a number of species where you have violations of this rule. Um, wasps are a very good example where if you look at uh, tarantula hawk wasps, which are apex predators, um, these things, I mean, they're huge bastards. They're like five centimeter long wasps uh, with an incredibly painful sting. And what they do is, I mean, these are scary buggers. They go after tarantulas, which creep me the hell out because I hate spiders. Um, they go chase after tarantulas, they sting them, and through the process of stinging them, they, they paralyze these tarantulas. And then they drag these things, which are like three to five to ten times their size and mass, to a burrow that the tarantula hawk wasp creates for itself, for its, for its offspring, actually. And the female tarantula hawk lays an egg on top of, or on, in the, you know, belly of the completely alive, paralyzed spider. The spider is completely conscious. It's completely aware of what's going on. It, it, it's, it's alive for this whole process. It just can't move. It can't do anything. The egg hatches and the larva actually eats its way through the tarantula. It feasts on the still living body of the tarantula. Um, and then eventually emerges from the, you know, it goes to the cocoon stage and emerges from the burrow as a full, fully formed wasp. 
But at no point is there significant parental investment of any kind. It's not like, you know, the, the, the mother hawk, tarantula hawk wasp spends a lot of time taking care of its young. Now that doesn't happen. It's like the egg is laid and then the female wasp flies off and dies. I mean, that's, that's how it works. Um, so there are violations of this idea, but if you look at mammals in particular, you'll find overall mammals, fish, birds, um, to some extent reptiles, uh, fall into these categories of uh, trade-off between lots of offspring and very low parental investment, or very few offspring and very high parental investment. And you'll generally find that Creatures at the top of the food chain tend to be very heavy on parental investment in individual offspring. And creatures at the bottom of the food chain tend to be very light on parental investment. And the great insight of Michael Trust, also known as Anonymous Conservative, so he's not anonymous anymore um, and hasn't been for some time, but he's, he goes by the name of Anonymous Conservative, um, lies in applying this RK selection idea to politics. And his basic argument was, and is, that RK selection uh, essentially comes down to something that you can assign to human politics. Now, RK selection essentially, essentially comes down to um, the terminology used by biologists uh, or ecologists Robert MacArthur and E.O. Wilson. And E.O. Wilson should be a fairly familiar name to a lot of people. Uh, if he, I mean, he's like vaguely familiar to me. Um, somewhat controversial from, from what I gather. Uh, I don't know much about him, but my understanding is he is a, he's a fairly controversial character. And essentially, um, if you look at where the terms R and K come from, they come from this, uh, this model of population dynamics, which determines the maximum growth rate of the population and the carrying capacity of the local environments. R is the maximum growth rate, K is the carrying capacity. And then if you plug these two numbers into a very simplified model for population dynamics, you get the uh, rate of change over time of the population, so the growth of the population, effectively. And you'll typically find that prey species fall into this category of R, meaning that they grow very rapidly. They, uh, their, their focus is on fast reproduction. It's kind of a, what you might call a, a live fast, die young sort of strategy. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, in, among the predator um, species, you have a K-selected population, which is to say you have a species that takes a long time to raise its young, invests very heavily into its young, really tries hard to raise high-quality offspring, um, and adapts to a resource-scarce environment. Uh, that is a uh, live slow, die old sort of strategy. Uh, this is, again, an extremely, extremely simplified um, model of population dynamics. But if you look at our selected species, they emphasize high growth rates. They look at less crowded ecological niches. Again, I'm reading straight from the Infogalactic article. 
and uh, they tend to dominate or an R selected strategy tends to dominate or be useful in unstable or unpredictable environments where you know you have very high rates of predation and you have very uh, uncertain odds of survival you're, you're, you're very high risk to survive so you'll find this with like mice or rabbits or rats or um, sheep or generally with prey animals you'll find very very uh, high emphasis on breeding quickly and generating lots of offspring and then you know kind of running away from uh, dealing with the offspring turtles are a classic example what happens with turtles I mean if you look at a turtle a, a female turtle lays dozens of eggs in one hatching all on her own then shuffles back off into the sea the eggs hatch and dozens of these little baby turtles make a mad dash for the sea and most of them die on their way there they're eaten by predators they get picked off by birds um, they never make it to the sea the few that do of the few that do very few of those survive into adulthood right so they have very much an R selected strategy because they face so much uncertainty and so much um, environmental pressure and then you have K selected species eagles uh, wolves lions um, what else whales and of course humans humans are or were a K selected species and these typically live um, at densities close to carrying capacity of the environment and they are typically strong competitors in crowded niches again straight from infogalactic they tend to invest very heavily in fewer offspring which all have a relatively high probability of surviving to adulthood um, this is what we as a as a species as humans have evolved into or did evolve into now the great and brilliant insight of anonymous conservative was to take this idea which is rooted in ecology it's a heuristic idea it's not something you can prove through equations it's just something that you can observe in in, in the real world um, you can and it does have gaps in theory I mean, there's no there's no doubt there are some problems in this theory I just outlined a couple there are some major exceptions and you need to uh, be aware of those exceptions when you're listening to me talking about this but the point is that there are some very interesting ideas and conclusions that you can tease out of this now Michael Trust in his book or anonymous conservative I should say in his book wrote about the ways in which different subgroups different subpopulations of humans have different preferences and those express themselves psychologically as political leanings and you can see these among different races and this idea of RK selection theory appears to be every bit as important to the survival of individuals and societies as the concept of trust and indeed seems to be inextricably intertwined with the idea of societal trust now I've talked about societal trust at some length in the past so go back and listen to that podcast it's from one of the very earliest uh, didactic mind episodes from like two two and a half years ago and it goes over exactly what I've said um, not two and a half years ago uh, what's it about a year and some something maybe a bit more um, year and a bit 
back, you know, from the very beginning of this podcast. So we're talking like late 2019, I think. Um, so in that episode, I talked about the value and importance of social trust and how a more diverse society is a less trusting society and how the more ethnically diverse you make a society, the less people trust each other. Well, that also has important implications for our case selection theory. Anonymous conservatives argument is that our selected populations express themselves psychologically in human populations as liberal societies. These are societies where you have a very much a live fast, die young sort of mentality, which emphasizes rapid breeding and to hell with the consequences. Well, in Western, in the Western world, where do you typically see that? It's not hard to figure out. In America, you see it among blacks. I mean, black America is incredibly dysfunctional. And here's the stupid thing. Here's the weird thing. It wasn't like that all the time. You can look back about a hundred years and you will see in the data and in the evidence that black America was actually more socially stable and more socially cohesive than white America was. It's bizarre. What happened? What changed? Because black America today is completely dysfunctional. When you have a society in which, what, some 70 to 80% of babies are born out of wedlock and where black men are among the, well, they are the least likely to stay married to wives and are most likely to um, be jobless and the most likely to uh, run away from their responsibilities. What the hell happened in the space of three generations? Well, one of the answers may well lie in the environmental factors that affect our case selection. In Western societies in general, where do you see our selected uh, groups or sub subgroups of people? Typically among Middle Eastern and African immigrants. Large families, low parental investment in child rearing, um, relatively high rate of infant mortality. Why? Because the carrying capacity of the environment is high enough to support them. When you move from a very low survival rate society or very, you know, low survival rate uh, environment, such as Africa, such as the Middle East, to a very high survival rate environment, such as the Western world. It takes a long time for your psychology to catch up with your environment. That's just, that's just the reality of it. It takes a long, long, long time for humans to adjust and change their patterns of behavior and action to match their surroundings. Um, individual humans can do it pretty well. I mean, I know I've lived in, I've lived and worked in seven countries. I've lived and worked in uh, two Asian countries, no, three Asian countries, actually, uh, two wet, three Western countries, and one which is kind of in between. I've lived and worked in the United Kingdom. I've lived and worked in the United States. I've lived and worked in Russia. I've lived and worked in Singapore. These are like completely different societies in every way, and I've adapted every single time I've gone over. 
Why? Because I'm an individual. I don't really carry a whole lot of baggage. I've left the, the baggage of my parents' culture almost completely behind. I want nothing to do with it. And I mean, I know that's a source of considerable pain for them. But for me, it's just, it's the reality. I mean, I have to adapt no matter where I go. I actually find it harder to adapt to their culture when I go back to where they're from. I find it nearly impossible to adapt to that culture because I've spent so long in the Western world. So when you come from that kind of background, it's easy to change and adapt and move and, 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 and blend in when you need to. But it's much harder for an entire society or an entire tribe which comes over to change and adapt. I mean, just ask the Jews in Israel, right? Um, Israel has made a policy of importing as many Jews as you can. But even in Israel, there are differences between different sets of Jews. The Ashkenazi Jews, these, um, the, uh, what are they, what are they called? Um, not, not Hasidic, uh, um, Ashkenazi and I forget the other, the name of the other racial group, I forget. Damn. Uh, non-Ashkenazi, if you will. These are very different groups of Jews. There are European Jews who come to Israel and they bring with them one set of values. And then there are Middle Eastern Jews who come over and have a very different set of values. And then there are African Jews who come over and they actually have a really hard time integrating. You would think being Jews, they would just integrate because Israel is the Jewish nation. They welcome Jews from anywhere. But no, African Jews have a tremendously hard time integrating into Israeli society. Why? Because their psychology and their behavioral patterns are very, very different. And that is directly due to the environments that they grew up in over generations, over centuries, over millennia. You cannot get rid of that in the space of two or three generations. Not going to happen. So, what does this imply when you have large movements of peoples in between different nations? Well, for one thing, it implies that if you have an R-selected population that comes to a K-selected society, and the K-selected society does not actively defend itself, the K-selected society will be overwhelmed. Because why do R and K-selected societies exist? Again, go back to the roots of the theory. An R-selected society exists in a time or an environment of plentiful resources, but lots of uncertainty, which means high rates of death, high rates of disease. And I mean, I'm talking in human context. Because we don't have any natural predators, right? So the only major killer of humans, or the major killers, are other humans through war and strife, disease, natural disasters. The three big ones. If you come from an environment where that is the norm, where war is a constant, where... Uh, disease is a constant where natural disasters are likely, but you have lots of resources around you, what is your likely winning reproductive strategy? It's very simple. It's one where you have lots and lots of children and you don't really invest in any of them. Where do you find that these days? Africa. You, you, you used to find it, I mean, you still do to some, to a very large extent in South America. Not completely, but it's still there. You find it to a very large extent in the Middle East. These are areas of the world, and actually you find it in India too, um, through much of the Indian subcontinent. You find it through most of the dirt world, and there's a reason for that, right? The dirt world stays the dirt world for that exact reason. Lots of resources everywhere, 
very high uncertainty. By contrast, if you look at societies where you have relatively stable environmental factors, but um, very high levels of control over the environment and at the same time intense competition for resources, what happens? You get case-selected societies. Where have we seen the most case-selected societies in the world? Europe, America, China, Japan as well, obviously. It is not accidental that these are the societies that have generated the greatest innovations in the world. It is not an accident that these are the societies that generate um, the most stable and the most powerful and the most successful cultures in the world. These are the places where you need to invest lots and lots of time in raising your offspring. And that's exactly what happens. If you look at um, parenting in the Western world, what happens? You know, parents invest enormously in their children. Parents invest in their children until they reach the age of maturity. It used to be that was 13. I mean, there's a reason why uh, in, in Jewish culture, which, by the way, codified a lot of this uh, idea of uh, investing in children, investing in relationships, investing in families. And I'm not saying it was unique to them because it wasn't, but I'm saying that this was something that the Jews codified into their laws, into in, in, the, in the Pentateuch and elsewhere. Um, if you look at the, the, you know, why do they have the bar mitzvah and the, bat, and the bat mitzvah at the age of 13? That's because that is considered the age of majority for children uh, when they become men or women. And they are essentially functional adults. We know now that's really not true, but yeah, I mean, whatever. This, this is historically the norm, okay? So, what does this imply for those societies? Well, these are societies that are used to performing under pressure. They are constantly in constant competition for resources, constantly in competition for land, wealth, opportunity. They don't have a free ride. So they have to invest heavily in their people and their societies. Again, there's a reason why the world's most successful cultures come from places that are K-selected. East Asian society is heavily K-selected, especially Japan. Not so much China, but to a large extent. Especially Singapore. Especially South Korea. North Korea, I mean, that's... I'm not saying this is a perfect theory because it's not. Uh, look at Russia. Heavily, heavily, heavily case-selected society. I know, I've lived there. The Russians are a very heavily case-selected group. And it shows. I mean, they are very wary of outsiders. You know, they, they treat outsiders with very kind of polite distance, a sort of a, a froideur, if you will, uh, frostiness, until you get to know them. And then they're like your best friends for life. They're, I can't say enough good things about the Russian people. I love them. I, I, I think that the West really categorically, chronically mistreats Russians. And I wish that were not the case. I really think the Russian people are just the kindest, nicest, most generous, most giving, most wonderful people you can meet. Um, in terms of giving, actually, Americans are better at it. But Russians, you know, they, they give in a way that really matters. They, they will, they don't just give in terms of money. They give in terms of, in, in a more personal sense. Americans are, Americans are the most generous in the world, by far. I mean, when it comes to giving in terms of money and time and charity, 
Americans were, uh, you know, hands down the greatest people in the world. Russians have a different approach. They, they give in a more personal sense. So, like, they won't give to somebody they don't know. They, 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 they don't do that. They will give to help their neighbors in, you know, get through a harsh winter or get through a, a difficult pandemic. They'll do that. No problems. That is a hallmark of a K-selected society where your neighbors matter to you. What is the hallmark of an R-selected society? If you've ever heard this maxim, this is what an R-selected society sounds like. Me against my brother. Me and my brother against my father. Me, my father, my brother and my father against our tribe. Uh, my tribe against the world. Where does that come from? It comes from the Arab Peninsula. That's exactly how a lot of Arabs think. Not all of them, but a lot of them. This is the root of a lot of cultural misunderstandings and problems between the West and, or, you know, the European West and the rest of the world. This is the reality. An R-selected society, which invades or is invited in by a K-selected society, will always outbreed the, the K-selected society. The K-selected group will be overwhelmed by the R-selected group. This has a number of interesting and profound implications, as Anonymous Conservative mentions in his book. And it's free to read. You can, it's, it's completely free. You can download it. You can go to his website. You can download it. I communicated with him, you know, like eight years ago, whenever it was that I, I read his book. I emailed him and I said to him, dude, you know, is there a way I can like donate to you or something? Can I give you some money? Because this book is so good. Um, I really want to get the word out there. I, I want to help you if I can, because it was such a good book. And he responded back. He was like, dude, I really appreciate it. But you know what? The best thing you can do for me is to write a review or to uh, just get the word out somehow on your own, because I want people to read this. I'm going to keep it for free. I don't want your money. I just want you to to spread it around. And I'm more than happy to do that. You know, I've been doing it for years. Um, on on my on my original blog, now on my site, and now through this podcast, uh, I will have links to his site and his book. And I cannot recommend strongly enough. Go and download his book. It's it's a phenomenal book. It explains all this, you know, in in much more detail than I possibly can in one hour. What does what what are some of the implications of an R-selected society? Well, the microcosm of our selection in America is black America. Look at where black America is today. Skyrocketing divorce rates, skyrocketing joblessness, skyrocketing rates of uh, family, familial dysfunction, single motherhood, uh, welfare, drug usage, crime, and so on. It's, it's, it's horrific to look at and it's, it's tragic. I mean, this is not, this is not something we would ever want to wish on anyone. This is a society in terminal decline. Uh, this is, you know, we're, we're talking about 12 or so percent of the American population, uh, completely hitting the skids. I mean, in no way can you argue that black America is successful. It's not. And here's the funny thing. Most of this dysfunction has taken place since 1965. It's not that it, I'm, I'm not saying, it, I'm not saying that, uh, there weren't problems before because there were. If you look at um, uh, the Moynihan report, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, one of the last true liberals, as opposed to leftists, he was an actual liberal back when being a liberal meant something. 
back when being a liberal meant that you could espouse progressive ideas while still loving your country. And that's what Dan Patrick Moynihan actually was. He was a liberal. He pointed out that black society was coming apart at the seams and that urgent action was needed to fix it. And this was, um, as I recall, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this. I could be wrong. So as I recall, that report was part of the drive uh, that spurred uh, President Johnson at the time to kick off his Great Society uh, idea. Now, that has been an utter disaster. The Great Society has been a complete failure at almost every level. Welfare spending is through the roof. We, America has spent trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on welfare and um, trying to level the playing field for all various disadvantaged groups in America, and it hasn't worked. Why hasn't it worked? What are you supposed to do when you have a, uh, a group of people that adapt to one particular evolutionary strategy or psychology and you throw lots of money at them hoping that they'll change their ways? It's not gonna, it, it doesn't work. The only way you can do it is by applying specific pressures to them. And that's not something at a, at a human level that we can really do, and nor should we, in all honesty. What happens when you have a K-selected group of people in a resource-rich environment. They change their outlook, they, ch they change their mindset, they change their ideas about the world, which is exactly what's happened. If you look at the rise of progressivism and progressive stupidity and woke nonsense, and the, the entire social justice movement, why does it exist? Fundamentally, it exists because people have too many resources. They're too rich, they're too fat, they're too safe, they're too comfortable. If you go to um, parts of the world where people have to really struggle to put food on their tables every day, you don't see this kind of woke idiocy. You don't see it. It's not there. Uh, there's a great um, interview with a chap named... Uh, what was he called? A uh, chap named... Uh, oh balls. Um, I had it, had it up earlier. It's, uh, it's a video by apparently a very controversial, quote-unquote, um, guy. Named, ah, here he is. Calvin Robinson. He's the descendant of a uh, of Jamaican immigrants. Now, he's an interesting character. Jam descendant of Jamaican immigrants, so second-generation immigrant to, to the United Kingdom. Uh, and his, uh, his parents broke up when he was a child. He was raised by a single mother. He is a strong conservative, like a Tory. And I mean, not just a Tory, but a Tory who says things that white Tories do not dare to say. He says things outright like white Britons are being discriminated against more than anybody else. And he's right. The biggest racist in society, I'm not saying he says this, but he's, he points out that white Britons today face racial discrimination far more than ethnic minorities do. And he's right. He says that there is no reason for a BLM movement in the United Kingdom because, you know, the, the misguided as the BLM, the, you know, the, the black looming menace movement is in the, U, in the U.S., 
there is no real police brutality in the United Kingdom. The police are actually useless at being police. They're hopeless at policing anything. They police tweets, not streets, as Lawrence Fox would say. He is, he, he, as he points out in this interview, and you can watch it tomorrow um, during, you know, within the, the, the great Monday Dact browser buster. It's, uh, it'll be down there in some, some section somewhere. You'll be able to, to watch the whole thing on your own. And it's, a, it's over an hour long. And from what I've heard of it so far, it's very good. He is, I mean, he's a British conservative, which means that by American standards, he's a liberal. Um, and by my standards, he's, by, by my standards, he's, you know, a bit complete, um, uh, doesn't even appear on the spectrum because I am so far to the right compared to him. Um, but he makes a lot of very good points. And I agree with him about what a lot of what he says. And one of the things he points out is that people back in Jamaica are actually small C conservatives. Small C. They, they value home and family and identity, especially identity. They don't like change. They don't like big change. And this is actually true of a lot of countries where you go where people are really poor. They don't have the time for woke stupidity. As I've said, you go to Russia, the Russians don't get this bizarre Western obsession with uh, a billion different gender identities and with inclusivity and diversity and not hurting people's feelings and feminism. You talk to Russian women, I mean, aside from being the most beautiful and feminine in the world, they don't get the idea of feminism. They don't understand it and they don't want anything to do with it. As far as they are concerned, they believe that they have achieved all the equality that they want. They have all the opportunities that they want. They have all the educational chances that they want. But they fundamentally are very vocal about their desire to raise families and have children. And the, the farther you get away from Moscow and St. Petersburg, the big urban centers, and the closer you get to the countryside, the stronger this desire becomes. The stronger they want, the, the, the more they want to just have families and be left alone. They don't have time for woke bullshit. If you go to Russia and if you're a black man in Russia and, you know, if you're non-white, I am very, very obviously non-white, and you walk around in the streets of Moscow, nobody bothers you. I have never, ever, ever experienced racism at the hands of a Muscovite or a Russian. The Russians were incredibly welcoming. They were incredibly kind to me. Why? Because I made the effort to fit in. I tried to be like them. I, I spoke Russian to them badly. Я могу говорить по-русски, но очень плохо и медленно, конечно. Это очень сложный язык. I can speak Russian. I can read Russian. I can understand, like, when somebody's having a conversation, I can understand about 70% of what's being said. Uh, I can't speak it very well because it's a bloody hard language. But they treated me well. Why? Because they recognize a kindred spirit. They don't have time for nonsense like, uh, you know, what's his race? Am I going to offend him if I bring up any jokes about him? They were free to joke about India with me. They, they, like, they, they, they heard where I was coming from. They heard where I'd been. They, they were free to joke about uh, uh, America. They were free to joke about Africa. They were free to joke about any, you know, China. They, they, they knew that I'd been to all these places and they were like, well, I haven't been to Africa, but they, they were free to joke about all these other places. And they were like, yeah, that, that, that country's crap. That country's, these people are idiots. Um, 
they would say the N-word outright. They would actually call blacks the one word you can't say. Oh my lord, you can't say. Russians have no problem saying it. <laughs> they will call them that outright. They actually have a word for it. Uh, uh, negro, uh, as they say in, um, in, in, in Russian. Uh, Chorny, uh, black. Uh, Chorny, blacks. Right? They have no problem saying that amongst themselves. None. They don't have time for it. That's a very, very case-selected society. And when you bring an R-selected society into a case-selected society, what happens? Well, conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. You can't get past it. That's exactly what we're seeing right now playing out in Sweden, where you have a very case-selected society that has gone kind of soft and squidgy at the edges and is dealing with this massive influx of R-selected groups coming in, taking over. And those R-selected groups are outbreeding the natives. Now, again, all of this RK stuff operates on a continuum, a spectrum. You cannot say that, you know, Arabs are K-selected, or Arabs are R-selected, and Blacks are R-selected, and Europeans are K-selected. And so, it, no. There are blends in between. There are, there are gradations. You can't, you can't make, uh, a bold black and white sort of claim, or a, you know, one or the other. It's, it doesn't work like that. So some, Westerners are more more K-selected than other Westerners. If you look at um, Japan and China, I mean, that's a classic example. Japan is extremely K-selected and will not tolerate outsiders, will not let them in, absolutely refuses. If Japan has a stupendously low immigration rate, they just won't let immigrants in, you know, flatly refuse. Why? Because they value their culture, their heritage, their identity. And they want to keep it that way. There are um, descendants of Korean immigrants who came to Japan like eight generations ago, uh, who they still, in their descendants, still don't have full voting rights. It's not like these people are Koreans. They're not. These people um, have fully assimilated in a Japanese society. They call themselves Japanese. They speak Japanese. They eat Japanese food, dress Japanese clothes, uh, obey Japanese customs. Have no interest whatsoever in being Korean. The Japanese government and the Japanese people will not recognize them. That is the hallmark of a truly case-selected society. Now, Japan's dying. I mean, they're dying out. They'll be like, as a society, they are crumbling. And the same is true for Han China. Well, you know, China is an, another interesting example. China is an example of a country where you actually have seven different you know, countries in one massive Mongo huge country. Um, last time I remember, it's up to seven different countries, anywhere between five and nine, actually, depending on the way you count it. But you have the Han Chinese, you have the Manchus, the Mongols, the uh, the Sichuanese, the Cantonese, uh, the Tibetans, and the Uyghurs, uh, or the, the, the Tajiks, basically, uh, in the West. Um, and I think you have one or two more ethnic minorities uh, along the coastal regions. But essentially what you're looking at is about five to seven different actual, what you might call countries, in the midst of this huge, giant place we call China. Completely dominated over militarily by the Han Chinese. That, I mean, that, that's, that's just the truth of it. 
China as a country exists because of Han domination of the rest of China, quote unquote. So that is also a case-selected group, but it's a low-trust case-selected group. And this is where it gets kind of interesting because you have to look at, you know, mentally you have to look at multiple axes. You, you have to look at trust on a, on a, on a, let's say, a vertical axis and, and, and our case selection on a, on a horizontal axis. And you can kind of plot where different societies are. And based on that, you can also see the relative success or failure rates of these societies. You can see that there is one particular quadrant where you have a very case-selected society and a very high-trust society where that society will become a very good place to live over time. You know, give them enough time, they'll figure it out. Classic example, America. Right? That, that's exactly what happened with America. You had a, an incredibly high-trust, extremely high-performance society in the form of America. And look what happened. You had, you had the greatest empire, the greatest society, the greatest country the world has ever seen. And I believe as, as a, an article of faith that America has been a force for, for profound good in the world. I really believe that. And I'm not just saying that because I lived in America, because I, I spent 12 years there. I love America. I am deeply grateful to the people and to the country, not the government, but the country for letting me live there and for letting me see what a wonderful place it is. And I, 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 as much as I hate what America has become, I will always love and be grateful for America as it was, right? And that's my attitude towards things. That is the hallmark of a successful society. Now, if you look um, at China and Japan. Well, Japan is, again, a very case-selected society, an extremely high-trust society, extremely high-trust. Um, that is an incredibly successful society, or it was. I mean, that's where you have to bring in this kind of another axis, or like a, a z-axis, so you've got a, a 3D kind of map um, of population growth and population dynamics. And obviously, Japan is completely useless in terms of reproducing. And that's the problem, is... Japan's great growth in the 1970s and 80s was due to a massive demographic dividend that they received starting from the 1950s onwards. They're now at the tail end of that dividend and it's, you know, they're dying out as a society. And actually the same thing is going to happen to China in the next 20 years. They're going to see that it's already happening. You're, excuse me. You're going to see uh, a significant drop in economic output and uh, energy and activity in the next 20 years. China is going to get old before it gets rich, and that's been well known and well understood for a long time. Just most mainstream um, types refuse to say it, but it's the truth. Uh, if you look at Europe, Europe faces much the same problem, you know, getting old. Uh, but the, the, the demographic dividend is much greater in Europe. Uh, the European peoples are still kind of sort of reproducing. And actually, they're beginning to revitalize. Um, if you look particularly in Eastern Europe, there, there does appear to be a significant revival underway of Christianity. And this is another factor that you see coming into play, the, the, the very heavily civilizing influence of Christianity. The, the countries that are experiencing the greatest revivals are Christian nations. Russia. I mean, Russia has some serious structural problems, but Russia is actually quietly thriving. 
It has a major demographic problem, no question. And I don't know yet if they're going to get out of it. I just don't know. I don't have the data. I, everything I see is kind of conflicting. They, the population, uh, the total fertility rate was rising for a while and now it's dipped again. And I don't know if they can fix it. I really don't. But Poland and Hungary are doing much, much better than anybody expected. Uh, much of Central and Eastern Europe is doing much better than people expected. These are the places where K-selected peoples are going to rise and thrive. And they're going to be Christian K-selected peoples. And that's a very good thing. If you look at the countries that have let in the most are selected peoples. Those are the ones fracturing the fastest. Look at the United Kingdom. Look at Pony Bastard Land. Look at the United States. What's happening? These, these cultures are breaking apart the seams. The United Kingdom isn't anymore. It really isn't. There is no such thing as the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. It used to be the United Kingdom and Ireland used to be part of it now. Obviously, Ireland is its own separate country. But if you look at Wales and Scotland and England, these are three separate countries bound together in a union, and none of the three particularly like each other. I mean, Scotland, yeah, you know, there's a bit of there's a bit of uncertainty there, but uh, it used to be that the Scots really wanted to break free. Now they're not so sure. But here's the thing. I mean, from an English, from the English point of view, if the Scots broke away, that would be the best thing for them because that would kill the Labour Party. It would destroy them in England. It would destroy the Labour Party completely. The Conservatives aren't very much better, obviously. I have, I have no respect for the Tory Party. None. But the only, <laughs> the only good thing you can say in their favour is at least the Conservatives aren't Labour. Like, that's it. There is nothing Conservative about the Tory Party anymore and hasn't been for a long time. If you look at the United States, what's happening there? Well, you have multiple forces literally ripping the country apart right now. You have races pitched against each other. You have massive divisions between races. You have city against countryside. You have black against white. You have Hispanic against everybody. You have Asians caught in the middle like, whose side do we take? Oh, well, they're just piling against the whites. But we hate the blacks and we hate the Latinos. I mean, that's the truth of it. You know, you'll see all these videos of Asians protesting against white supremacy. It's like, you idiots. I mean, don't you get it? The only reason you're protected from predation by black communities and Hispanics in the United States is because of white people. You're bitching and, 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 and moaning and trying to take down the very people who protect you. Well, you know, that's what happens when you have a multiracial coalition. That, that is exactly the problem. When you have a multiracial diverse group of people, each group will always uh, agitate for its own interests. That's what happens in R-selected societies. That's what happens in K-selected societies. This is a universal constant. It doesn't matter which you know where you are. Individual ethnic groups and tribes will always agitate for their own interests. You want a great example of what happens, you know, in a in a in a country at, at a countrywide level? Go to India. That's exactly what they do. In India, the way that uh, the central government deals with this problem is by kind of carving states into smaller and smaller subdivisions. Um, the state of Andhra Pradesh, where uh, you know Hyderabad used to be located in Andhra Pradesh, 
and that is, or was, and, and still is to some extent, the tech capital of India. Um, I, I was quite startled to learn that actually Hyderabad isn't in Andhra Pradesh anymore. In fact, Andhra Pradesh split into two pieces. It split into Andhra Pradesh and Telangana. The two states, you know, it's just an artificial creation. Why was it done? Well, among other things, it was done because the racial and ethnic groups in those two, in, in this one state, wanted to break away from each other. They wanted their own dividing lines. They wanted their own administration. They wanted their own government. That's the problem. And that's the point. In a diverse society, people will always seek to be ruled by those most like them. And when you have a K-selected majority with a vocal and growing R-selected minority, and the K-selected majority refuse to defend themselves by expelling the invaders, what happens? You get constant conflict and constant tension. That is the reality of the United States today. That is the reality of Britain today. That is the reality of much of Europe today. Look at what ha what's happening in Germany with the migrant crisis. It's still a huge problem. And look at what it's done to German society. Nobody trusts each other anymore. When you introduce an R-selected migrant wave into a K-selected environment, K-adapted environment, you will get disaster. And that is the, that is the overriding lesson of RK selection theory, among other things. I mean, I haven't even really gotten too deep into why R selected, um, ideology flourishes. But essentially, the reason you have liberalism, the reason it works or makes sense in a twisted sort of way, is because we are too rich, we are too wealthy, we have too many resources and not enough predators or not enough uncertainty. So the stupidity that liberalism uh, forces upon us thrives under those conditions. The fastest way to eliminate it is to make life hard again, which is what's going to happen because liberalism always inevitably makes things harder. Because remember that you know core meme of the manosphere. Strong men create good times. Uh, good, no, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. That same exact cycle is repeating itself right now. We are seeing societies go from R selection to K selection, back to R selection, they will eventually go back to K selection. And K is rising throughout the world. We're seeing it now. We went through the R selected phase, we're going right back to the K selected phase. And that that change, that transition, will be incredibly painful. So be prepared for it. Read up on Michael Trust's book, Anonymous Conservative's book. It'll be linked in the description box. A fantastic book. Cannot recommend it strongly enough. Go read it. It's brilliant. Make sure that you stay on top of these things, on top of these issues. Make sure that you understand what's going on, because if you do, you will be in a position to prosper when the time comes, when the breaking comes. And I've been predicting the breaking for years now. It's already happening. And see it before our eyes. Don't be caught unawares. Be ready for the breaking because it is coming and it will be terrible. Well, that's about all I've got time for, uh, which, you know, I've been through quite a lot already. But uh, I hope you found this uh, thought-provoking and interesting. And uh, please let me know if you have any uh, thoughts or want me to follow up on any of these points. Um, 
As always, I am very happy to have you here with me, and I very much appreciate your patronage. Uh, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe, and uh, make sure that you uh, click uh, to subscribe to my email list. This has been Didactic Mind number 72, Rabbits and Wolves, and I am Didact, signing off.